Hello everyone, I am Madhura Gaikwad and you are listening to Zip Radio Podcasts powered by Synerzip. On this podcast channel, we will host discussions on topics based on technology and agile trends with Vinayak Zogrekar, CTO and co-founder at Synerzip. In the first episode, Vinayak is in conversation with Krishnakumar Bhavsar on deep learning and natural language processing. Krishnakumar is an expert in artificial intelligence, deep learning and natural language processing. So let's see what they have in store for us today. Welcome on board guys. Thank you Madhura. Thanks for the introduction. As we all know deep learning is uh, something that is a hot topic and uh, it is an extension to the way we know of machine learning to tell in a few words deep learning has to do with multiple passes of machine learning one learning pass could be treated as where you give some input to the learning algorithm and you get some output if you take this output from the first pass and give it as an input to the second pass then this becomes the case for deep learning and typically this type of multiple passes are characteristic as we will learn from krishna kumar of what they call as a neural networks and uh, there are very popular neural network packages or libraries such as tensorflow and uh, we will be talking more about those but krishna kumar for the sake of clarity and for those of our uh, listeners who are not familiar with the topic of machine learning and deep learning as i understand is if you do the machine learning part multiple times that is uh, deep learning is my understanding correct yes uh, vinayak so i would agree with you in this aspect as in also i mean it is the same but machine learning is more like uh, how we do the statistical analysis that we have people who have been doing it since 1950s so the statistical analysis that we do that is what exactly when we started doing the same thing with machines when we use a lot more data to do the same kind of analysis such as regression algorithms and regressions in conjoint analysis or any of the clustering algorithms that people used to run earlier or when you are modeling time series and all that all of that that we have started doing it through machines computers we started calling it machine learning it is nothing but the base of all the things is probabilities and statistics yes i remember uh, we were doing cluster analysis and factor analysis way back in our colleges it was a part of our statistics course yeah so you are right i mean machine learning is nothing but old wine in new model right exactly yeah exactly. and then what is deep learning okay so deep learning is a concept which was kind of uh, introduced somewhere in late 1980s Uh, where the introducers they thought that you know we can take input from one pass so basically it's kind of a feedback mechanism so that you know you can try to continuously improve something uh, when you go through one single pass of any algorithm what you get is usually a plot or kind of if you imagine that you run a regression analysis okay then what you essentially get is you get so uh, consider it as a x and y axis of your two parameters then what you get is a line or probably a curve of your current target variable so you know that's how it should go so it tries to predict those values based on that what is deep learning is deep learning is trying to go beyond that so okay i ran this algorithm once i got this output how do i feed it back and i learn more from my previous mistake so that currently whatever the smooth curve or the smooth uh, line that i've had as my uh, kind of a predictor value i can make it you know unsmooth 
things go up and down somewhere introduce some more possibility of error so that i can be more accurate this was introduced but we lacked processing capability the neural nets we understood that you know in our brains we have neurons and you know how they uh, communicate with each other uh, with signals and all that we did understand all of that but we did not have the processing capability to actually implement that fast forward 2010 and suddenly everyone realized that okay now we have the processing capability and then we started having algorithms like mnet uh, libraries like you said the tensorflow libraries they all started coming up so google started with that basically and that's how so as you already said that you know it's nothing but a feedback mechanism you take input you do run the algorithm you feed it back to the next pass it is slightly tweaked it's not the same but it's kind of layered so you have multiple layers so earlier when you used to run the algorithm only one single pass will be done or one single iteration will be done and you get the output now what happens is that you have two passes three passes so the actual output is getting refined and refined and refined like you have in an oil refinery first refinement is probably uh, you know diesel second refinement is kerosene third refinement is petrol it is going through filters right so one of the things that i have understood from what you just described is that let's say you have a set of points on a xy kind of graph there is a predictor uh, which kind of tries to connect those points in one pass and that could be a very smooth kind of curve but that is not exactly predicting your variable yes so you pass it through the second pass to correct the mistakes that you have or the errors that you have in the first pass mm-hmm. and then you get a better fit in the yes. second pass and then so on and so forth so with every pass you become better and better what i understand this is something which is interesting that even there what is helping us is making it more democratized by having computing power which is now available to everyone and then now people can start using this so this is what i think is the current hype or current state that we see of deep learning mm-hmm. is because now we have you know people like synergic companies like synergic doing it and we don't need a super computer to engage in such things exactly we yeah. can do it with the commodity hardware yeah like so that, that is exactly what has happened so in a way it is same thing like machine learning right machine learning already was there conceptually but then it became more popular because of availability of computing power and same is true with deep learning my next question is that i have heard of deep learning problems that typically are solved for the benefit of audience i'll just describe what i know about uh, the type of problems that deep learning can solve so one of the popular problems that we hear about is image recognition there are a few pictures and then there are pictures of cats and dogs and then you are supposed to identify which picture is a cat and which picture is a dog etc Uh, what happens in this uh, how deep learning is useful is that uh, you take a picture and you divide it into multiple uh, small windows or convolutions those convolutions are processed or looked at in the first pass to identify edges where in a particular convolution you see the change of color it will be identified as edge yeah now in this once you identify the edges you have the second pass in which those edges would be joined together to identify them as lines or triangles or circles or some kind of shapes that eventually form the body of a cat and maybe in the third pass you would 
start identifying certain features of the cat such as eyes or whiskers or ears or whatever and uh, so on and so forth in multiple passes like that you'll finally identify the cat as a cat or a dog as a dog right that's what i understand is a typical application of deep learning in this particular problem can you tell me how deep learning or tensorflow or uh, any other type of neural net as you familiar with that is used and can you explain this a little more as to what happens in uh, these uh, convolutional neural, neural nets uh, sure vinay so as you said a convolution you aptly said that you have already said that it's kind of a window uh, when you say it's a window that means it is a physical window moving across your image now whatever you have as an image it's nothing but it's on your uh, horizontal plane whatever your it's a x axis and y axis and you have a flat image on your machine if suppose you had uh, the images are whatever size it may be you know 1000 by 1200 or whatever what you would do rather as a convolution is you have a smaller frame running across the entire image starting at 0 0 okay and if i have a 2 by 2 frame then it will be a 0 to 2 on x axis and 0 to 2 on y axis and this 2 by 2 frame that is 4 pixel i will keep on running it horizontally and vertically to identify if there is any difference from one frame to the other frame this particular small frame is what we call is a convolution okay but my next question now is that then this would be very difficult because of the variation in sizes right hmm. when you are feeding pictures of cats and dogs they would yes. be having variations such as the size, size or the aspect ratio of these pictures also you know the color in which they are they may not be and you know probably level that uh, in that picture where the cat is whether the cat is under the tree or it is running on the hill how do you know in the picture where is the cat how do you identify that and how do you label that as such because for training you will have to label that data right i mean otherwise computer would not know where is the cat in the picture how do you prepare this data so i think you can't just feed pictures as it is you might have to pre process those pictures and then you might be able to so how do you do that so you're right in any kind of data analysis job you know be it image processing or be it text processing or simple pure statistical analysis there is always some amount of pre processing involved what does pre processing means is you will take the data you will massage it and you will prepare it in a format that can be fed into now so what all are the different things that you do in pre processing so you do data sanitization you remove certain outliers then sometimes you also have to add missing data and you have to also convert formats to other formats now these are normally the things that you do statistically now when you're talking about image processing so what exactly we will do for problem that we are discussing cats and dogs first is the color so we need to standardize the color so for that what we will do is we will probably grayscale the entire image and the other standardization task that you would require to do is as you said sizes are different so we may decide on a particular size that okay we're going to compress all the images to a particular size say 500 by 500 and we are going to standardize them by coloring or making them all grayscale so when you convert it in grayscale so that means variations that the algorithm has to understand have now the complexity has certainly reduced quite so when this complexity has reduced so that means your algorithm will converge faster and your edges will be detected faster and since now that we are at it 
I would also like to talk about you know how exactly will this algorithm understand is because you will have to have a huge data set when you said that you know some tree is on the some cat is on the tree or some cat is running on a hill absolutely agree so that is why we need to have a huge or as big as possible a data set for training as well as for testing so let me explain what is train and test for doing any kind of a analytics or running any kind of an analytics algorithm you need quite a lot of data to make the algorithm understand the fit and whenever you have this data you will usually divide it into a training set and a testing set so what does it mean is that you will expose the algorithm only to your training part and you will use the testing part to test the results of the actual algorithm fit that you had achieved the model fit usually this ratio is 70 30 or 60 40 depending upon you know what kind of data size you have so for this image classification problem that we are talking about cats and dogs i think we will if we look at the google facebook database or kaggle then i'm sure we can find thousands of images of cats and dogs and particularly this problem lots of people have tried to solve i think this is one of the basic problems people try to solve when they try to learn so yes pre processing is involved and you need a lot of data for the algorithm to actually be more as generic as possible otherwise you will tend to overfit what is overfitting because my understanding of overfitting is that your predictor will fit the training data very well but it will in its desperation to fit the training data well it will end up being so specific to the training data that it will stop being good for the future data points that you will come up in your test data or live data so how do you stop that from happening how do you not overfit and the other part is that if you don't overfit you might even end up underfitting in which case you know your predictor doesn't even predict your training data accurately it is underfitting right and then uh, it is unlikely to predict your future data set accurately so you have to do a tight rope walk between underfitting and overfitting you don't want to underfit or overfit so how to manage that sure when we are talking about overfitting and underfitting i will also introduce a couple of concepts called as precision recall and the third one accuracy as well as you correctly said when you have an overfitting uh, model that means it is going to predict all your training data accuracy will be very high with your training data when you say accuracy that means if you have uh, fed 100 examples to your model then it will give you like you know more than 90 examples correctly identified that means you you are more than 90% accurate now we have this pr measure it's called precision and recall what is this precision and recall is precision means that it's a simple ratio of how many went through it and how many correctly were identified so it's very similar to accuracy precision and accuracy go hand in hand they are very similar to each other that means if i have 100 images and i identified 80 of them correctly my precision is 80% now recall on the other hand different in terms of total number of images that were passed through or examples that were passed through the algorithm how many it was able to identify be it correct or wrong mm-hmm. so you have two class classification how many it correctly identified truly and how many it correctly identified so yeah, so you have false positive false and false negative false negatives so how many true negatives and true positives mm-hmm. that is a ratio of true negatives and true positives that is what we call as recall whereas the ratio of false positives and false negatives that goes under precision yeah so i would say that if 
I am able to say identify 100 and out of that 80 are correctly identified, the accuracy is 80%. But if I have 100 and or 200 and out of which I am able to only identify 100 whether right or wrong, in that case my recall is only 50%. Yes. So, your recall is wrong. Yeah. so when I try to improve my precision by accurately fitting, I might end up reducing my recall. Right. So these are two because then you don't want to make a mistake to improve the precision. So in which case you might actually end up not identifying some positives as positives. Right. In which case you will improve your precision, but you will you lose out on your recall. On your recall. So these are two measures which are conflicting measures. So which is all good, but tell me what it has to do with what we are talking about. I mean, how is that? overfitting and underfitting and what is the relationship so i understand that uh, by measuring this you will know whether it is overfitting or not overfitting or whether it is underfitting or not underfitting that is how you measure it by measuring precision and recall but how do you make sure that uh, you know what do you do to prevent it from underfitting or overfitting initial thing to test is whether your model is underfitting or overfitting is when you look at your precision recall on the training data set it's very high and if it's on your testing data set it is very low that means you have a clearly an overfitting data set now this means either your data set is imbalanced that is your test set and your training set you have not properly randomized the samples so the sampling itself has gone bad first thing you check is your sampling then the second thing you check is with the algorithm that you are using if you are using a deep learning algorithm how many passes you are running and how many nodes are involved. If you have a data of say a million records and the number of columns or rather the number of independent variables is less than 100, at that time, I think if you are running more than two passes with more than five nodes, then it is definitely going to be an overfitting because the more you try to, as the algorithm tries to, you know, fit to the set that it has been provided, right. it, is then it is obviously going to over. But in the same case, if you ran for a million records and less than 100 parameters, if you ran only a single pass with maybe one or two, yeah, points, that will be underfitting. It will be underfitting. It will be too generic, and it will not even be able to give you good. Decision. So that is how you find balance between. So it has to yes. do with number of things. So as I understood it, it has to do with the total population or total size of your sample. Yes. How random it is because yes. it's not evenly spread between the training and the test data. Again, you are likely to go wrong. And also the number of passes. So if you have more records, you should take advantage of more records by having more passes. But if you don't have those many records in the training set, you should not have too many passes just to improve accuracy because then you will end up overfitting. Yeah, so this is all very good. I mean, uh, very good information. Now let us come back to the problem that you tried to solve at Synergism with the help of deep learning. Can you describe the problem that you are trying to solve? And I'll chime in because I was also a part of this. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, really go into how exactly we solve the problem. Uh, let us first try to look at, you know, what exactly is the business problem that we had in that. I think Vinayak, you are a better uh, place to probably tell the audience what exactly. Okay, so let me take a shot at it and you can chime in. Sure. We have uh, resumes which are parsed in our system and we need to recognize and uh, use features inside the resumes. Uh, the resume has different types of features. 
there are high level features and low level features for example in a resume let's take education so education is having multiple records like there will be schooling record college record then his post graduation institute or university record maybe there are three records in education now each record will have low level features such as the year of passing the degree or the certification that he got and the university or the institute from which he did so these are low level features so these are easy to identify because we have what are known as gazetteers or lists and then you are doing just a matching you will know that 2018 is 2018 is a year because it will match with that in the gazetteer similarly you will know that be or btech would be a graduation degree because that would match with that in the list similarly you would probably know that iit is an institute because it would match with that in the list the low level features are easy to identify but now you need to conclude that since this particular record it has a degree and it has a institute or a college it must be education record yeah. now this is something that was done basis of rules and we were going crazy because those rules were running into you know long long things because every candidate will have a different way of writing things in his resume and trying to write a rule that would be generalized enough to take care of every way in which education for example is written by candidate somebody would write institute first somebody would not write the year of passing and sometimes you will make you know mistake in identifying 75 as a year these are the 75 as a percentage of marks that he has obtained and all sorts of confusions could happen there and you would not end up identifying education as education that was the problem that we started with and we thought that we would give this problem a shot by using what we call now as tensor flow or machine learning or neural nets and you know that's how i would describe the problem so we have top level features such as objectives overview education experience project details and all that we need to identify these top level features based on the input of the uh, low level features uh, such as technology or year or uh, degree or specific functional skill or certain keywords which act as anchors like responsibilities or designations and uh, you know on the basis of these or names of companies on the basis of these uh, very well identify low level features and also format of the resume itself so you have a table or you have some paragraphs or you have some bold so all this information goes into and then on the basis of which we are trying to identify the high level features so that is the problem that have i missed something uh, sure so i mean in fact you give one a very nice detailed answer still what i would really like to tell the audience uh, before they get into the details is the problem really was classifying the resumes the idea behind this was that an hr organization or a human uh, recruitment firm or a agency which does recruitment for them they get like you know hundreds of or you know thousands of resumes every day and to categorize or classify each of these resumes into you know what exactly this particular resume should be put into this is even if we talk about just technology resumes okay still i can uh, very well say that you know we will have at least 50 different pockets in which we can classify these all resumes now to classify these resumes as you said if you understood 
something that we called as a high level feature is that you know you have a top level seven or eight entities in which the entire resume resides namely you know i will call them like you know your full name objective overview education company experience skill set and the projects that you work on this is usually you know any kind of resume that you get from internet or from any portal from where you are downloading you know this is where it fits and every resume for all of these kind of a higher level entities it also has at a granular level some more medium level entities some more lower level entities that are actually propagating to make us or give us the output for identifying the higher level entities now as you said correctly we are going to use all of these entities you kind of introduced all of them as well already so how about you know we just move on and uh, see how we modeled this and how we tried to solve this okay so let's talk about that sure uh, what we did was as vinay has already mentioned that uh, we had done quite a lot of work with gate and natural language processing ontology related stuff to identify the lower and medium level features just to repeat you know what kind of lower and medium level features that we are talking about is your first name last name technology names address anchors in your resume that you have on your left hand side you know, where you say that okay project name and then you will have the actual project name or maybe education and then you will have your actual education so these are your low and medium level features and this is a low hanging fruit that you can easily get with kind of uh, name entity recognition casuals that you just already mentioned so we identify all these entities using those natural language processing and computational linguistics based and algorithms having got all these entities along with that we also considered the properties of the document in terms of the structure structure like, like the tables yeah, the, the tables the uh, the bold the italic you know right. the structure of the document itself yeah. so that is another lower level entity that we also considered yeah. now when we combined all of this we actually came up with around 90 such features or entities that we can identify at a lower level and at the top level all of these entities are actually feeding into the top 8 entities that i had just told you that you know the full name objective overview education and so on and so forth when we got this then we first decided okay so now we have all this data so what we should do with this should we try to uh, model it in like you know statistical way or maybe go with the natural language processing way so then we decided that you know let's model it in a statistical way in that we decided that we'll work at the offset level that means we will try and predict each and every offset whether it belongs yeah, to for the for the benefit of audience offset is a position where a character can reside in a resume so if say if a resume has say 1000 words and each word is of 10 characters there will be 10000 offsets right the offset number 1 uh, would have certain properties like you know which one of the 96 features that we just talked about is present or not present at this offset number 1 offset number 2 similarly similarly we'll have 10000 offsets uh, 10, so 10000 rows and each row will have 96 columns right yes. and in that column you will have a yes or a no type of answer right whether this is existent or it doesn't exist that feature exists or feature doesn't Exactly. Is that how we converted or modeled the problem? Yes, exactly. So that is how we uh, decided to model the problem. We also did talk about something like standardization. Uh, since we thought that the location of these elements was important, that means people will not write their full name at the end or at the bottom of the resume. Neither will they write the objective or the overview at the bottom. 
Similarly, the footnote cannot ever come at the start of the resume. So, which means that we have to do something about the size of the resumes. So, then we decided that we will stretch all resumes to 20,000 offsets. The premise of this was we looked at, we had already looked at thousands of resumes and we saw that, you know, the average length of the resume is anywhere between 10,000 to 15,000 offsets. That's why we decided that if you have 20,000 offsets as the maximum possible, then all resumes can probably fit into it and we will not lose any data. The idea was that we should not lose any data. That is why we decided that we will take 20,000 as the maximum possible. Having decided that, we stretched all our training and testing data to be of 20,000 in size. That is from 0 to 20,000, every resume will have 20,000 characters is what we standardized. Having done that, then we ran it through multiple algorithms. Finally, we converged with a multinomial neural net algorithm, which gave us a very good accuracy on the first pass. And we saw that all the smaller features that we had, the smaller higher level features like first name or the full name or overview, footnote. Smaller, you mean shorter. Yeah. Where, where smaller, the number of number characters of, was limited. Yes, exactly. Right. So we saw that where the number of characters were less, that is, you know, if we had uh, about not more than 1,000 characters or not more yeah. than 2,000 So, for example, a full name would have, let's say, at the most uh, less than 100, 100 characters, whereas when you talk about a project, it could run into hundreds of characters. Thousands of characters. Or maybe even thousands of thousands characters. Of characters. Yeah. So, uh, shorter, it is, you are saying you are talking that the accuracy was better for shorter. Uh, yes. So, we saw that the accuracy was very high for the smaller or the shorter entities that we wanted to identify higher level entities. But with the larger entities, although the, the location kind of uh, looked correct, but we had kind of, you know, we used to have these very small outlay, outlying kind of problems with those. Yeah, these were like, it was identifying the project, for example, correctly, more or less where it was supposed to be. But at the same time, there were some false positives sprinkled short, like one or two character short. Yes sprinkled all over the resume yes right i mean it would have those false positives outliers as you would say uh, and that was spoiling the accuracy that was spoiling the accuracy correct so uh, as vinayak already said that you know yeah you will kind of you know you have identified almost like a you know 5000 character long project section but you know in between you will find that you know there are lots of false positives so you know some of the places it has not been able to identify it properly mm -hmm. now uh, this problem, to rectify this problem, what we decided was that probably we've not given the location and adjoining entities of those things which are around it that much priority. So we had given priority only to the location, but we had not given any priority to what is around it, basically. So then we decided that in the next pass, what we will do is we will talk about, we will insert land location as well as what is around each of those offsets, whether they are also part of the same entity or the same high-level feature or they are of different high-level feature. And also, what is the length of that particular feature? Correct. So, I think length was very, very valuable because there are certain features which are by their very nature short. Yes. And there are certain features by their nature they are long. Like exactly. project is not short and first name and, or the full name cannot be long. Exactly. So, I think you could not have given the length uh, without having it go through the first pass. Exactly. Right? So the first pass output was the length of the feature and that output was fed to the second pass uh, because 
now we had that information available that what was the length of the identified uh, feature yes right? identified block right yes so now that we knew that what is the feature of the identified block then we decided okay now these blocks which are really small in size they cannot be projects right so that's when the uh, algorithm actually understood that okay what is around it and what is the length of this particular block and it made it even better in the second pass right so first pass we got very good uh, accuracy with the smaller or shorter kind of entities in the second pass we got very good accuracy with the larger or the bigger kind of entities but then and what happened all. to the smaller ones the smaller ones yeah so here is the catch so what we decided was that we will stick to our output for the first pass for the smaller entities because that was giving us a better output but since we were actually using location and what is around it in the second pass it was kind of garbaging the output of the smaller entities in the second pass that's interesting so yes. we would use like for example the first pass would correctly identify the email address or the name or the short ones and that was taken as the output for the short ones but for the long ones like for the experience record or the project record we would depend on the second pass okay. absolutely yeah that's how we got went about it yeah so that is uh, very interesting so uh, you know having done this can you tell a little bit about the type of uh, tools did we use for uh, analysis as well as visualization sure uh, initially what we started with this uh, was that you know uh, we'll probably try to identify only the gaps between the sections and uh, we thought that you know if we just identify the gaps properly we'll be able to identify the sections properly so then we thought that you know uh, the binary classification algorithms like uh, random forest statistical regression and all that if we uh, try to use that it will be good but having seen the results of those we quickly understood that what we are trying to identify is really not what should be done the reason prominent reason was that the data set was extremely imbalanced as in there were hardly any gaps between sections or between entities so if you try to identify the gap your actual true positives that you are trying to identify that set is very small so even if your precision is very high your recall will be very low it's a classic example of that now so then we decided that you know instead of trying to identify the gaps we should probably try and identify the top high level entities when we decided that then we went with neural net multicon so what in this we did was we applied the algorithm neural net multinomial and uh, we were looking at the results through tableau as in you know trying to look at a dispersion plot what exactly are the annotations and where exactly are they appearing so think of it like a horizontal bar chart in which when i click on project it will show me where all the project is in this particular resume starting from 0 to 20000 so this is the kind of visualization that and it really helped us and uh, the programming language that we used was mostly r and java so java was uh, for you know initial pre processing of the resumes in fact uh, because we used gate so uh, we did the initial uh, nlp part in java using gate and for converting this gate uh, documents into our uh, statistical uh, kind of a table for that also we used java another uh, important thing that i would like to discuss is we had a particular problem when we were running mysql database in the background for the pre processing task so we realized that using directly the disk or dumping data on file in a disk was much more faster than using a relational database like mysql so can you tell the, what is the magnitude degree of 
order of magnitude how much more time it took for my sequel sure. as compared to putting it in a csv file on a disk sure sure i mean you would be quite surprised to know the numbers if i had a, a 20000 uh, or rather a 15000 offset resume that is 15000 characters to put it into my sequel database in the format that we wanted with 96 features and of course the 15000 to just create 15000 uh, rows with 96 columns it was taking us close to around about 8 hours for one document oh my god but if i am trying to do the same thing dumping it on the disk it was doing it in 2 seconds my god <laughs> so finally it was criminal yeah it's a no brainer right yeah <laughs> So that's why we decided to you know, kind of you know get rid of all the yeah, and loading CSV kind of data into an R matrix would be very easy, right? Absolutely, loading it into uh, data frames is like kids' job. Yeah, that that's a good learning. So finally, you know, I have the last question, and which you ask if you have any, you know, how do I use this now that I have this available? Uh, what is the way to supposing we come across a new resume? Uh, how is this information? used to infer mm-hmm. how's the inference done uh, that in the new resume to identify features at high level given that uh, we have these 96 low level features uh, which are very accurately known but we want to identify the high level features how do you go about doing that end of the day this is all mathematics the final outcome of any kind of deep learning algorithm or a machine learning algorithm is an equation so you have a simple equation quadratic equation mm-hmm. with number of parameters that you have and along with that for each parameter you will have an associated kind of a, a coefficient that coefficient is called as theta each coefficient is actually uh, awarded based on the kind of uh, importance of that particular feature in deriving the final outcome for your result that means if i have 96 features i am getting 96 coefficients for each of the features every time a new resume comes i convert it into the format that i have uh, the csv format for each of the offset i run this equation and it will give me the final answer that okay which particular class your this offset belongs to so it would tell me that uh, this particular offset since it has these 96 features this looks like it belongs to the project exactly uh, feature and then uh, when you bunch together a few hundred of those then it starts looking like a project is that correct exactly so uh, yeah so this is interesting so inference can be done even on a mobile phone right i mean once you know the theta yes. uh, even on it doesn't require any processing power it doesn't require it absolutely doesn't require any special processing power it's just a simple mathematical equation that you can run even from a calculator you don't even need a mobile yeah so that is wonderful so uh, so inference can be done using a low power kind of uh, front end at the edge yes. and you know you only do the training uh, in the end now when you add some more resumes uh, to your training set that uh, you need to run the retraining right so how frequently does this uh, need to be retrained it, it depends on your results i would say if you had a good enough sample set at the start and till your results are not getting deteriorated i would suggest that you know you should continue with your using the current model or the other or the better option is that you find an incremental model that you can train incrementally so you can have something like a weekly batch in which every saturday or every friday evening you will put some resumes in it and you can incrementally train it and give you the results so which means i don't have to go through the full cycle yes that means you do not have to go through the full cycle whatever was learnt is already there 
you are incrementally adding some more features uh, that is you know some more kind of information or knowledge to the same model so that it can get better at predicting what is coming so how, how long would it, would it take let's say there are 1000 resumes and 96 features and each resume having 20000 roles so you are talking about 20 million roles and uh, 96 features each so how long did it take in the first instance to process it using so the initial multinomial that we ran, it took us the for the first pass, it took us around six and a half hours to train for a thousand resumes with twenty thousand offsets each. That is about two million, twenty million, twenty million records. Yeah, which is quite yeah, fast. It's quite, fast. It's quite quick, and it was done not on any kind of supercomputer or anything. It was done on my MacBook sixteen GB Pro. <laughs> so. <laughs> So you can understand that you know what we are talking about. When we said that you know the new uh, techniques because of the processing power that we now have available in the commodity hardware, yeah. we can very well do it, and this is very much acceptable. So great. So uh, which means if you take a delta of one week, uh, which would be let's say hundred or two hundred resumes, it, yes. it will be insane. Less than an hour. Yeah, yeah, it should be less than an hour. Yes, for an incremental training. Right. Okay. Have I not asked you something that I should have asked? I think we discussed quite a lot of things. Uh, in fact, more than what I think I had planned for. <laughs> good, good. So, thanks for coming and uh, it was uh, wonderful to have you here, uh, Krishna Kumar. So, uh, thanks for coming here and uh, wish you good luck with your future career. Thank you very much, Vinayak. Thanks, Vinayak. And thank you, Krishna Kumar. Those were some great insights and I'm sure our audience will find them interesting. Thank you, everyone, for joining this episode. If you're looking to accelerate your product roadmap, visit our website, www.sunarzip.com for more information. Stay tuned to future Zip Radio episodes for more expert insights on technology and agile trends. Thank you.